0: of John chapter 3, I'll begin reading at verse 27, and our main verse for this evening is actually verse 36. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and heard That he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the reading of God's word, let us pray. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts that we may see and understand and receive your word this evening. Help us to know and understand the gospel better, to appreciate it and love it more, and be faithful to the call to Have that answer ready to speak to those who ask for a reason for the hope that is within us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So this evening, we're talking once again about uh, the two ways to live in this gospel outline that we have been studying, and there are six points to it. And remember that the goal is to be faithful in our evangelization. Uh, our evangelizing, if you will, telling the gospel to others. And in order to be faithful, we've said that we must speak when we have the opportunity. We must be faithful to God's word and his gospel in particular. And it's not how many converts we can win. Of course, it would be great. We would give the Lord thanks if we could win many converts. But the goal in evangelism is to be faithful to God in that call and to be faithful to his message. And so we've seen that uh, we've um, had this outlined for a help, that when you think about the gospel, it really makes sense that it is logical. And so there are these steps, these, hat, these uh, stands on which we can hang our hat mentally, uh, these stopping points or these billboards, if you will, that remind us where we're going as we talk about the gospel of Christ. And so we start with the first point, remember, with God being the creator. And so the first point is that God created everything, and He is the loving ruler of His creation, that He made man to be a ruler under Him of the world. And the scripture for that is Revelation 4.11, you are worthy of, our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So where do we start? If someone has a clean slate of knowledge, they don't know anything about the gospel of the Bible, that's where we go. Go back to Genesis, of course, in this case, Romans or Revelation 4.11, but it starts with creation. God has established himself as the supreme, sovereign creator of all, and therefore he is Lord of all, and he begins his word in that way. And so you know this, the, the account in Genesis, God created Adam. Adam was to take dominion and rule the earth, and all of the creatures on the land and so forth were to be subject, subjected to him. But as we look out into the world, we see chaos. We see that that's not the case, and so that brings us to the second point, and that is man's rebellion. Man has sinned against God by rebelling against him, and so we try to run life our own way, not the way that God has prescribed to us in his word. and so in revelation or Romans, I keep getting those mixed up in Romans chapter three, verses ten through twelve, it says, "There is none righteous, no, not one. there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God, all have turned away. So, in defining the gospel or explaining the gospel, we start with God the Creator and that He made man. Why He made man? Man's rebellion. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, then, are there any consequences for that? Yes. So, the third point then is judgment. There is a day on which God will judge all men. God will not let us rebel forever, yet He will punish us. He will punish uh, us through death and judgment for eternity if we do not do what He has commanded us to do. We'll talk about that in a minute. Hebrews 9.27 says, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It's appointed uh, once for a man to die and after this the judgment is the older translation. So there's rebellion and then there's judgment. Well, has God left us there? So this is where the gospel comes in. This is where the good news of Jesus Christ comes in, and that fourth point that deals with Jesus' death. That God loved the world. He sent His Son into the world to be the sinless and perfect, uh, righteous man who could die and did die in our place. So we have to talk about Jesus, who He is, and why it is that He came. He came as the sacrifice, as John says in John 1. He looks at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No lamb throughout the Old Testament could ever take away sin. Those lambs were provided by men. At God's prescription, God was showing that in order to atone for sin, there had to be death, the shedding of blood. And so John looks at Jesus and said, This lamb is of God. God the Father has provided this lamb, and He does, He will take away the sins of the world. And so Jesus' death comes into play. We have to talk about that. But also in the next, the fifth point, which we talked about last time, we must also talk about the resurrection of Christ. Jesus did not stay in the grave. As one put it, He didn't stay dead. God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world. And as we saw, Jesus' resurrection confirms everything that he said. It confirms that Jesus is who he said that he was. And it shows that God accepted Jesus' payment for our sins. And so 1 Peter 1.3 says, In his great mercy, he has given us his new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so as you think about all of those points, all five, you might say or tend to think that, uh, well, there is the gospel. And in a sense, that's true. That is gospel content. But as far as presenting the gospel, there's one more step. I wonder if you can think of what it is. Well, that brings us to the last point of the outline, the, the sixth point, And that is that there must be this call to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to apply the truth of the gospel to our hearers, if we have had those who would listen to us. And so then where does this leave us as we talk about it? Well, it leaves us with the choice. There are two ways to live. And so the name of the outline, two ways to live. There are two options that we see in God's word. As we saw in our passage we just read, John three thirty six. he who believes in the Son of God or in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so whether we're accepting or rejecting Jesus, those are the two choices. Remember, Jesus said in the Gospels, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground when it comes to this decision. We are either saved or we are condemned. We either have everlasting life or everlasting death. We either have the mercy of God or God's wrath abides upon us. It's waiting to fall upon us. And so that's where we end with this last point in the outline. And so there are several answers or responses to the gospel call that we might receive when we're talking about the gospel. Um, What we ought to do is to ask them, well, is this what you believe? Remember in John 11, when Jesus was talking about Lazarus, who's in the grave, who's in the tomb, and uh, he says about himself on the resurrection and the life, he believes in me, even though he die, he shall live. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, do you believe this? Well, that's the question. Do you believe what we've been talking about? We, we should ask that question. And so as we ask that question, we'll get perhaps a number of responses or one of several responses. Uh, we might get the no. Someone might say, well, I no, of course not. I don't believe that. And uh, they might consider themselves an atheist or just a well-educated person or something like that. I don't, I don't believe the gospel. And there are many reasons as to why someone could say that and would say that. What we need to remember is what Romans 8 says. In Romans 8, 7, uh, it says that the sinful mind is enmity with God. <clears throat> that the natural man, the natural mind, is at war with God. And then when people deny the gospel, when they reject the gospel, especially if you're presenting it to them yourself, you you might feel like they're rejecting you. And perhaps they are, but more than likely, they are simply rejecting Christ himself. And you need to understand that. And not worry about being rejected for the sake of Christ because you are in union with Him and part of His family. And so we need to point out that rejection is perilous. Uh, In John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 18, these are the words of Christ Himself. It says, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So for the one that does not believe in Christ and says, well, that's not what I believe, we just leave this with them. We say, okay, well, here's what the Bible says. It says you're already condemned. Why? Because you don't believe. Show them these verses, John chapter 3. You're condemned, and it says here, that if someone does not believe the wrath of God abides on him, is that where you want to be? And of course, they could say, "Well, I don't believe any of that." And to to that, you you really can just say, "Well, I'm I'm going to pray for you," because we don't save men. We can't convince men. We can't give them faith. I could sh- I, I should say it that way. Uh, God is the one who gives men faith. Ephesians two eight says. Another answer might be, well, someone says, maybe I believe it, I kind of believe it, or maybe not, and, uh, you know, some say, well, that's the response in a postmodern culture. It's, it's also a response in the South sometimes. Uh, people don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. We, we are very nice in the South. We used to be, at least, and, you know, bless her heart, and you go talk about her and her heart behind her back, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but we don't want to hurt people's feelings, and so we just don't want, you know, people don't want to say no. And uh, there's that kind of response. Well, again, uh, we need to press the fact upon such people that Jesus says, you're either with me or you are against me. So if you're not making that positive step forward to come on my side, Jesus tells us, you are against me. There's no middle ground. You're either a citizen of the kingdom of Satan, Colossians 2, or one, or you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's one of the two. And so when someone says maybe, we need to press that truth upon them. Matthew twelve, thirty, he who is not with me is against me. So you, you might get the no, you might get the maybe, you might get the later. Well, I'm just not ready yet. <clears throat> Person who's not willing to make the commitment, but kind of says, well, maybe later is a person who doesn't want to make any changes in his life, her life. I went to high school with a guy, ended up working with him later in life. He knew I was a Christian. We would talk and, uh, you know, we would sit, we worked side by side. He would just say, you know, I I just, I'm not ready for that yet. And at the time he was living uh, a life of darkness. I'll just put it that way. And he descended pretty low to the bottom. But we talked about the gospel for a period of years. His brother became a Christian and talked with him about the gospel. And I may have shared this with you before. When I was in seminary, I got a call from this guy. He's like, Kevin, his name was Kevin, too. He said, Kevin, guess what? I'm a Christian. And uh, we started talking about this. And like I said before, maybe um, before we got off the phone, he was praying for me. And uh, so you never know what the Lord will do, how the Lord might use your words and the words of others. You know, some plant, some water. Paul says God gives the increase. And it may take a period of years before someone comes to saving faith in Christ. But when we are dealing with someone who says maybe later, we need to remind them of the parables of Jesus, you know, like the one in Matthew 25. Um, where the man's soul was required of him that night, Uh, we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. We could die today. We could get in in an automobile accident. We could have a heart attack or some unexplained death or whatever. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. James says our life is but a vapor. We're here for a little while, and then, like the vapor, we're gone. So we press that upon them. Well, then someone might actually say yes. They might say, well, yeah, I believe that. And, you know, I remember Derek Thomas preaching a sermon about how um, we ought to evangelize. And when he was in uh, Wales, he, uh, at his first pastorate, he ministered to uh, this older atheist lady, this woman. And over time, she kept inviting him to come back and and then one day she, she was like, well, I believe that. And he, he talked about how it was in his mind. No, she can't believe that. She's an atheist. No. And, and, and she goes, I'm telling you, I believe it. And his point was sometimes we're surprised when there is conversion. And we ought not be surprised because God is all-powerful and he's promised conversions. Well, just remember that as well. But when people say yes, we need to ask them, well, what is it that you believe and uh, when they do say yes, uh, we need to say, well, what's next? Okay, the Bible says to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark 115. And so we have to talk about faith in Christ. We've, we've discussed that uh, before. But what is faith? Well, faith is belief. And remember, James 2 says that even the demons believe and they fear. So it's not just believing the facts about the gospel. It involves that. But saving faith has three elements to it. Knowledge, assent, and trust. That, in my mind, is very helpful. There's the knowledge of the gospel, all of the facts and all of the teachings of it. There is assent to it. You say, okay, yes, G- I believe Jesus was a historical figure. I believe that he died on the cross, that all, all of that is true. But see, even the demons get that far. There's a third, the third aspect is trust. That's what's crucial. All of the first two are just as crucial, but you have to have all three. So there's trust. Are you trusting in Christ? Are you resting upon him, leaning upon him? And uh, that is what is key. Christ himself is the object of our trust. And it is a continual belief. We may doubt at times a little bit. Our faith may be little faith, as Jesus says to Peter and some of the other disciples. Oh, you have little faith. It only takes the faith of a child to get into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, But that faith is at least in seed form, and it continues to grow, hopefully Over time. And when we talk about repentance, our own catechisms talk about dying more and more to sin and living under righteousness. So repentance is a a spiritual U turn, it involves making a life change. So you're headed down this way in rebellion against God, and yet when the Lord gets a hold of you or a person, then that person repents. They turn around and they start to walk to God, towards God, in his ways, in his word, according to his commandments, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Paul says in uh, Romans 7, even though at times he sins, he puts it this way, the thing that I don't want to do, that's what I do. The thing I hate, that's what I do. The thing I want to do, I don't do it. Obey God. And so when we do sin, we hate it. That's part of repentance too. We hate our sin. As we were reminded this morning, part of, in the the vows of church membership, the promises, part of saving faith involves seeing yourself and your sin as God sees it. Job said, I abhor myself. He said that because of his personal sin. And so we ask that question, do you confess that before God because of your sin? Do you abhor yourself? But we don't stop there. We, we talk about having faith in Christ and seeing him as our only hope. And so there's true repentance. And true repentance does involve, as 2 Corinthians 7 says, godly sorrow. That sorrow that leads to life 2 Corinthians 7.10 says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So you might say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, so-and-so, I got caught. That is not godly sorrow that leads to repentance or repentance that leads to godly sorrow. No, we, we are sorry because we have offended God. There's a difference, isn't there, children, for being sorry that you got caught. There's a difference between that and being sorry because you disappointed your parents. And so it is with true repentance and our sorrow before God. So James 2.7 says, Faith by itself is not accompanied by action. If it is not, it is dead. Faith without works is dead. So, saving faith produces good works. And we need to press that upon others as they hear the gospel and affirm it. And so then, as we think about this, we need to uh, be clear We need to be more clear than ever as a church, as a congregation, as Christians. When we live in a world of chaos and a postmodern society, we need to call people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we haven't done that, if we've only presented the facts of the gospel, we haven't completed the call to evangelize and preach the gospel. And I realize that the pastor and the preacher and evangelist They have that primary responsibility, but as we've talked about, 1 Peter 3.15 says to be ready, and it says it to all Christians, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And I hope that these messages on evangelism have helped you, and I hope in the future uh, that we can actually have some classes on it and uh, have some role-play uh, as well trying to work it out and practice it to put it into practice and so within that with that in mind let us commit those points to memory that 's your homework for this whole series is to commit those six points to memory and to try to memorize those six verses that's your application and to be ready okay let's pray